You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. Hi, morning church. My name is Timothy and I'll be reading scripture today. Uh, the scripture reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. I'll be reading selected sections of the chapters so you can follow on the screen. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 11. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter and all the people wept aloud. Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, What is wrong with the people weeping? So they told him the news. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout Israel, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. And the next day Saul struck down the Ammonites. Saul said, Today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. So all the people rejoiced greatly. Chapter 12 And Saul said to all Israel, I have obeyed your voice and made a king over you. I am old and grey. I have walked before you from my youth, Whose ox have I taken? Whom have I defrauded or oppressed? Or taken a bribe? And they said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us. And Samuel said, Now I plead with you all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hands of Sisera, the Philistines, and the king of Moab. And they fought against them, and they cried out to the Lord, We have sinned, because we have forsaken the Lord, and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us, that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubal, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you. When you saw the king of Ammonites came against you, you said to me, A king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, if you will fear the Lord, serve him and obey him. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do. I will call upon the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, for which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people, for his great name's sake, because he has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. 
for consider what great things he has done for you. These are the true words of the living God. Thank you, Tim. It was a long reading compared to what uh, Cheryl had last time, which uh, was one verse, as I remember. Well, it is great to see you all. We are continuing our journey through the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel. And uh, today, we have this story of uh, this victory, and then uh, Samuel the prophet talking to the people and addressing them. And I think the big idea, the big idea of what is going on here is this idea of God's faithfulness. God is faithful. We are often not faithful. God's people are often not faithful, but God is, fa- God is faithful. And the, one of the incredible things which comes through this passage is that uh, in his faithfulness, God gives fresh starts. In God's faithfulness, he gives us fresh starts. So God is faithful. We are often not faithful, but God gives fresh starts. I want to begin uh, on a rather personal note telling you a story. It's a sad story, I think. I wish it was a funny story about a very a person who was very close to me who I used to do a lot of things with. And uh, this was many years ago. And our children used to play a lot together. And... Uh, Something happened with our children, and I sent a message to this person to try and sort out this particular situation, and the person misunderstood my message and uh, refused to speak to me, talk to me, reply to my calls, my emails, my texts for about a year and a half. It was a deep rejection. So I I felt I was... Not in the moral high ground, but I didn't feel I'd done anything wrong. And I felt this rejection was, on some level, unjust. So I want you to think about your lives. Perhaps you have suffered a rejection. What does rejection feel like? Can you think back to a time when uh, you felt the stab of rejection? Could be from someone you particularly are close to. We've all experienced what it's like to undergo this uh, instance of someone rejecting us. Well, rejection is a big theme so far in the book of 1 Samuel, because some of the backstory to what's going on here is that the people have rejected God. The people have rejected God. Now, if on our human level, we can understand the pain, the strike to the heart of when humans reject us. And look, let's be honest, we're this mixture of the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? But imagine God, who is perfect in all his ways, who is a person, who is the maker, the lover of all of us, of all that he has made. And people turn around and reject him after all that he has done, after all the good things that he has given. He's led these people, and uh, if you are new here today, apologies, we've uh, been tracking our way through Samuel and seeing how God has been faithful to these people, how He's loved them and looked after them and made them promises, but they have rejected Him time and time and time again. They finally kind of put it together, and then uh, when things are going well, the first thing they do, the first opportunity is they reject God. They reject Him. They reject God as king, and they ask for another king. And so this is some of the backstory to uh, the passage today. 
And we can get so glib by saying, well, people reject God, and it becomes a bit of a phrase that trips off the tongue. But I want us to stop and think about what does it actually mean to reject God? It's effectively saying to God, we want nothing more to do with you. It's a rejection. It's, it's a huge thing. We shouldn't underplay that or underestimate the true impact of what it is for people to actually reject God, not only as a king, but also as a person. Well, this is what these people have done, and that context is all important, I believe, to these two chapters before us. So I want to make five points today. You thought I was going to make three, but uh, I like to keep you guessing. It's going to be five today. There uh, will be a mandatory test next week, all five points. So here are the five points. Number one, the people were unfaithful. Number two, God is faithful to the unfaithful. Number three, God has been faithful to the unfaithful, not only here, but also in the past. Number four, God loves giving fresh starts because he's faithful. And then fifthly, I want us to look at this idea that God is faithful to us in Christ. The people were unfaithful. God is faithful to the unfaithful. God is faithful to the unfaithful in the past. That's number three. Number four, God loves giving fresh starts to people as an act of his faithfulness. And number five, we can ultimately see God's faithfulness to us in Christ. Okay, so point number one, the people were unfaithful. I've given you some of the backstory. Uh, God is the king. He's all-powerful. He is the king of these people. And this is a king who is taking these people uh, into their future. And it's that king that they reject. And then they ask for their own king. That's what's been going on. So God takes them up on their request. He says, okay, you want to reject me as king? Well, let me give you a human king. And we have a bit of the clown prince. We call him Saul. And he's the king who God then gives to them. Now, uh, Saul, in modern day terms, he's athletic. He's a sports guy, but there's not much upstairs. He's uh, great for the wedding photos, but not much after that. He's terrible with budgets, Excel sheets. He cannot organize his way out of a plastic bag. He's, he's, a, he's a disaster. He is just hopeless on every possible level. Uh, but he's great on photos. This is the king. So superficially flattering, but not much of a statesman. And... Uh, it's God's way of making a point. Look, I can raise up anyone to be a king, but if you really reject me as king and you want a secular king, a human king, well, this is what you're liable to receive. And so this is, uh, this is Saul. Now, uh, I want you to think in your office. I don't know if you've had this experience where someone gets a promotion who just should not be in that role. And you think to yourself, how can this guy or this lady be a superior of mine? Do I really have to report to this person? Uh, Band of Brothers, it's one of my favorite TV shows. Band of Brothers is great for every preacher because there's like a thousand preaching illustrations. But there's one character, a chap called Lieutenant Dyke. He's straight out of West Point Military Academy or whatever it is. He's got all the bells and whistles, but he's hopeless in battle, a lot like Saul. And it's and then the, the, the people around him in this uh, show, Band of Brothers, are like, we can't follow that guy. You've got to be crazy. And this is starting to happen with Saul. 
And again, for the benefit of those who weren't with us last week, Saul gets made king, but he's so bad at being king, he's hiding in the luggage somewhere far away. He's got no courage. He's got no sense of strategy. He's got no sense of occasion. And here is the king who is now going to lead these people in their wars. And oh, by the way, the nations are kind of circling in. We've heard of the Philistines. They're coming to get them. But now we bump into the Ammonites. There's another enemy. And now we've got the clown prince Saul who's going to help us. So this is some of the, uh, the backdrop. The point I'm making is that the people had been unfaithful to God. And so let's read in chapter 12, verse 1. Samuel gives a bit of a summary. Chapter 12, verse 1. He says to all Israel, I have obeyed your voice and made a king over you. Jump to verse 12. When you saw the king of the Ammonites come against you, you said to me, a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold the king you have chosen. God was your king. You rejected God. You wanted another king. You saw the enemy coming. You're in trouble and you called out for a human king. Well, this is the king God has given you. Behold him, Saul. And there's a lot of irony. There's a lot of stuff in between the lines which is being communicated there. So the simple point is that when trouble is brewing, they wanted a secular king, they were unfaithful to God by rejecting him. And so this is my question. This is what the text, a question which the text begs. Why should God persist with people who don't want him to be their king? Why should God persist with people who have categorically rejected him as their king. That is a question which we need to answer because that's a question which naturally arises from the context of this passage. Okay, big point number two. The people were unfaithful. That was point number one. Point number two is this, is God is faithful to the unfaithful. If that's all you want to hear today, it should be that. God is faithful to the unfaithful. Well, the pinch comes. These folks have been unfaithful to God. What's God going to do? Well, he responds with faithfulness. Uh, there's this Nahash character. Don't you love the way some of these Bible characters, the bad guys really have evil names, don't they? Nahash. Uh, I hope no one here is called Nahash. <laughs> anyway, Nahash the Ammonite. Nahash the Ammonite, this is in verse 1 of chapter 11, then Nahash the Ammonite, I mean, that's just it's a creepy, dark-sounding name, then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Gabesh Gilead, this is a part of Israel. Verse 4, when the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter, and all the people wept aloud. Saul, the king, where is a king? He's on the throne, well, where is this king? Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, what's, what's wrong with the people? Why are they weeping? So they told him the news. So here we get another picture of Saul. He should be on the throne, but he's, he's lost the plot. He's out there mowing the lawn. He's the last guy to get the news. It's a national security issue. And the last guy to get the news is Saul. And he's kind of like, hey, hey guys, what's happening here? Why is everyone so sad? Is this the kind of king you want to have confidence in? Well, and then you've got 
the evil specter of Nahash the Ammonite on the border. Well, it's just, this story is marvelously written, by the way. God is just the master narrator. He's building the tension. You got this army coming to get you, and you got this king on the throne, and he's just building the tension so that when God comes through with the knockout punch, you will go, go God. Let's carry on reading in verse 6. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul. See, God had to take matters into his own hands. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout Israel, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. Suddenly, the, uh, there's this upswing and courage and optimism. And the trigger, the, the active ingredient here is not Saul acting like a statesman and a king, but it's God, and it's God's power, and it's God's agenda, and it's God's faithfulness which is coming through. And uh, Saul is still getting it wrong. He goes from the guy with no courage mowing the lawn to suddenly this complete overreaction. He's going to like cut people up and court to them and send them to all parts. And it's, it's like way overreaction. The long and the short of it, it's, it's God. It's not Saul. It's God. And then verse 11. And the next day Saul struck down the Ammonites. And there's no question here where the victory belongs to. Because if you keep on reading in verse 13 and 15... The Ammonites get destroyed. It's God who's done it. The Holy Spirit has fallen on these people. The army has been rallied. Saul is in this momentum which God has given, has rallied them and mustered them and got some strategy. And then they defeat them. Uh, verse 13, Saul said, Today the Lord, today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. And so all the people rejoice greatly. There's no question who the victory belongs to here. It's certainly not Saul. It's God, the true king. It's God, the true king. But this only begs the question, and I'll put it in a slightly different way. The people have been faithless, unfaithful. God has been faithful. Why would God persist with the people who don't want him to be king? And we can upgrade that question to this. Why did God give the king victory when they didn't want him to be king? Why did he persist with them? Not only did he persist with him, he didn't wash his hands and walk away. But in this moment of difficulty, God actually gave him a victory. Why? Why would God do that? He's clearly faithful, but why? Why is God faithful to these people? Okay, big point number three. God was faithful here to these unfaithful people. But then Samuel wants you to know that this is nothing new. God has been faithful to unfaithful people many, many, many times in the past. And then we have this great uh, sermon by Samuel. And uh, if you're in chapter 12, verse 6, Samuel tells some of the history. After this victory, Samuel calls the nation together and then starts to explain some of these events. And uh, he reminds them about Egypt. And Samuel said, now I plead with you. I want to plead with you all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he has performed over the course of time. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers 
out of Egypt. God's got this track record of delivering people. He's kind and he's good. And when people are oppressed and in difficult situations, he's a God you can call to. And he will respond with faithfulness. But then he takes it up a notch in verse 9. And uh, he says, but I also want you to see that there's this cycle or there's this pattern of God's people who believe in him. They get into trouble. They cry out to him. They get a, God gives them a victory, just like he did over Nahash. But then they slump back into sin and they get oppressed once more into trouble. And they call out to him again. And there's this pattern in the cycle which happens over and over. And so Samuel recounts this in verse 9. But they forgot the Lord their God. They had this great victory, but then they forgot God. They rejected him. They moved on from God once again. And God sold them into the hands of Sisera, the Philistines, and the king of Moab, recounting all these huge chapters in their history. And they fought against them. The people went into war and distress. Verse 10, and they cried out to the Lord, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord. Rejection once again, they have forsaken him. And we've served other gods, Baal and Ashtaroth. Remember, Ashtaroth was the goddess of war and of sexuality. Two big things in the modern age. Korea, let's call it war, and uh, intimacy. But now deliver us, verse 10, that we may serve you. They forget, they cry out, they repent, they ask for deliverance. And God responds in faithfulness. Verse 11, And the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel, who delivered you once again. And so it seems that when you request God to be faithful, He responds with faithfulness. When you have a wipeout, when you make grave mistakes and forget and reject God, and you get into difficulty, you can request His faithfulness, and He responds and so I want to put this point like this. God's faithfulness is not automatic, but it can be requested. That's the history that Samuel is teaching. God's faithfulness is not automatic, but it can be requested. But putting all this together, it still creates a tension. Because if God's faithfulness cannot be presumed on, why did God help them against Nahash when they never requested his help in the first place? Samuel gives them this pattern of when you request for God's faithfulness, you reject him, you get into trouble, then you need to request for it, then God is faithful. But here, this is not quite the pattern because no one was requesting God to be faithful. It only deepens the tension. Well, in this case... They rejected God. God came through for them without them even requesting it. And here I want to give you an insight into one of the great aspects of God and his character is that he is gracious. He is kind. Sometimes you need a wipeout to bring you back to your senses. But many times, many, many times, God won't let that happen, and he will intervene, and he will act for you, even when you don't ask him, and even when you're in the course of rejecting him. Tell you a story from my life. When I was 19 at university with a girlfriend, 
Now, when you have a girlfriend and you are 19, things can happen. You can cross some physical boundaries that you are not proud of, that you regret, that is, your conscience won't allow you to do. And you can get caught in a cycle of sin. And this happened to me. And the amazing thing about God is that He doesn't always wipe you out or make you get into a really horrible situation before He blesses you and helps you. And in the midst of this thing that was going on that I was desperately trying to get out of, God loved me, blessed me, and even gave me incredible victories against the likes of Nahash. This is part of the great grace of God, is that even when you're not asking for it, even when you're not repenting, He can give you victories. And the answer must be, because He's a faithful God. Because He is a faithful God. And so point number four is this. God loves giving fresh starts because He is faithful. God loves giving fresh starts because it's one more instance or application or demonstration of His faithfulness. Big story in this passage. They've rejected God. They have an enemy. They don't even ask God. God gives them an incredible victory. And not only does it give, give them an incredible victory, but he then, through Samuel and his ministry, comes to them and says, Hey guys, you can start again with God. You've been given a fresh start. God beat Nahash. This is a moment in time where you can have a fresh start. You can start again. This is a second chance. You messed it up. You rejected God. But here is the time where he's giving you a fresh start. Won't you seize it? Won't you grab onto this opportunity? You don't deserve it. You didn't even ask for it. But it's being given to you now. In verse 14 of chapter 12, Samuel puts it like this. Okay, now that we've rejected him, now that we've got this victory, now that we're celebrating, I want to tell you guys this, verse 14. If you will fear the Lord, serve him and obey him, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. There it is, the fresh start, the opportunity, which surprised us all. Conclusion, God's grace can also come to us as the offer of a fresh start. God's grace can also come to us as the offer of a fresh start. But it gets even better, because let me rephrase that. God's grace also can come to us as the offer of a fresh start after he wins a battle for us when we were unfaithful. However, if he gives you a fresh start, you've got to wake up and see it and seize it. You've got a chance. Don't mess up the chance. 
This is what Samuel says, because the next verse, he says this in verse 15. But if you will not obey the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you. Fair is fair. Fresh start. I'm going to be faithful to you, but you better not mess this one up. That's uh, the gist of what uh, Samuel is saying. Okay, and then our last point today. First point was the people were unfaithful. The second point is God was faithful to the unfaithful. The third point was God was faithful to the unfaithful even in the past. He's been doing it for centuries. The fourth point was God loves giving fresh starts precisely because he is faithful. And the fifth point that I want to make today is that God is faithful to us ultimately in Jesus Christ. God is faithful to us ultimately in Jesus Christ. And uh, like I was expressing last week, these stories in the Old Testament are small stories located in God's big story of what he is doing since the creation of time until he brings this world to its conclusion and into eternity. God is writing a big story. And the context, the place, the position of these small stories in the Old Testament is contextualized in the big arc of the big story. And if you take this story and if you extrapolate it and you blow it up and you take these stories to their logical conclusion, and if you put these stories through a perfection machine to make these stories as imperfect as they are into perfect stories of what a perfect being could look like down the line, what a perfect king, what a perfect prophet, what a perfect priest could look like down the line, you then start getting a faint outline of someone who could look like Christ. And then when Jesus Christ comes in the New Testament, you can look back into the Old Testament stories and you can see Christ as the perfection of everything that was going on in the Old Testament as it was pointing towards him. And so even here in this passage, some of these actors, we can see Christ perfected. If you perfect these people, uh, you can see them in, in, with a New Testament lens of what Jesus could look like. And so I want to focus on Samuel just for the last five minutes or so. And look at Samuel, who is the priest. He is the prophet acting here. He's the leader of the nation. And uh, I want to make the point that Jesus, as good and as amazing as Samuel is, Jesus Christ is the perfection of Samuel. Jesus is the more perfect Samuel. And uh, so Samuel, he's about to die. He says this in verse 2 of chapter 12, I'm old and gray. I've walked before you from my youth. Whose ox have I taken? Whom have I defrauded or oppressed or taken a bribe? And then they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us. Samuel is here saying, I've, guys, I've had this scandal-free history with you leading the nation. Although the Bible is honest about him because we read a few sermons ago that actually his children were, uh, were awful. And he, was, he had actually failed as a father. And that was on him. So he's not perfect. But Jesus is the more perfect Samuel. Jesus had a track record far superior to Samuel's. He never sinned once. He walked this earth. He never committed one sin. Jesus is the more perfect Samuel. If you jump to verse 16, Samuel brought signs of judgment to the people. Well, Jesus is the ultimate sign of judgment. Because uh, as uh, Samuel is giving the folks a fresh chance, 
What happens is, uh, in verse 16, well, let me read it, 16 to 18. Now, therefore, stand still. He's saying this to the whole uh, population. And see this great thing that the Lord will do. I will call upon the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord and asking for a king. So he's calling them out on their sin. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And uh, this uh, thunder is a sign of God's judgment. He's calling them out for their sin. You've rejected God. It's, uh, we omitted it. Um, but some of the verses uh, in, in the chapter, just for the shortness of time, we had to leave some out. It's the time of year where there's no rain, there's no lightning, and there's no thunder. But in the driest, driest, driest time, Samuel calls on God and God sends the thunder and the lightning. It's a sign of judgment. You know, you have done wrong here and you've done wrong against a God who can send thunder and lightning. Like he did on Pharaoh in Egypt, this is a God who can bring judgment. Samuel is a sign of judgment. Jesus Christ is the ultimate sign of judgment. Jesus Christ came from heaven. He is God to say to people, if you don't repent, if you don't turn to me, I'm going to bring judgment. And there's going to be thunder and lightning of a completely different order. So just as Samuel brought signs of judgment, so Jesus Christ brings more perfect signs of judgment. Jesus Christ had to go to the cross. He had to suffer the thunder of God, the judgment and the lightning of God himself, so that he could save us from our sin. Carrying on in verse 19, all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid, you have done all this evil. Samuel prays to God that God would forgive these people. He is a priest. He is one who can offer prayers on behalf of people who have sinned. He represents the people to God, and he represents God to the people. That's what a prophet and a priest does. And the message from God to the people is, yes, although you've sinned, I'm coming with a message of forgiveness. It's okay. God is not going to wipe you out with this thunder, although he could. Jesus Christ is the more perfect Samuel. He is a priest. He is the one who stands before God, who can pray for you, who can represent you to God, the Father, who can ask for the Father's forgiveness, who because he has received the sign and the judgment and the punishment from God and is now seated at the right hand of God, can appeal and pray and petition God the Father, the judge, on your behalf to save you from your sins. Samuel is doing an incredible job of this in the passage. But Jesus Christ is the ultimate priest who can ask for your salvation. And then we get to the heart of the faithfulness of God in verse 22. Samuel says, The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Let me repeat that verse. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. 
The answer to God's faithfulness. Why does God sometimes allow people to wipe out? Then they cry out to Him. Then He is faithful. Why on other occasions does He save you from the likes of Nahash? The answer to His faithfulness is that He is faithful to Himself. It is for the sake of His name that He is faithful to His people. It is for the sake of His name that He is faithful to His people. You see, these people are God's people. They're under His name. They've been included into Him, under Him. And it's because of God's reputation in the nations of the world that He didn't want, in this occasion, the enemy to defeat them and oppose them. And so putting on uh, New Testament glasses, let me phrase it like this. Those in the name of Jesus, those in Jesus, those in His name, have God's guaranteed faithfulness. God is faithful to Himself. God is faithful to His own name. And so if you are in Jesus, if you are in Jesus Christ, then God will be faithful to Himself. God will be faithful to Jesus. How do you know God is faithful to you? Well, if you are in Christ, we know that God is faithful to Himself. God will be faithful to Jesus. And if you are in Jesus, God will be faithful to you. God will be faithful to you to forgive your sins, to love you, to be gracious to you, to give you victories in the things that you need in life. His faithfulness is as much as it's a faithful to you, faithfulness to you, it's a derivative faithfulness because His faithfulness in the first place is a faithfulness to Himself. It's a faithfulness to Himself. The secret to understanding God's faithfulness is that He is faithful to Himself. I've got one more short point. We don't have time to go through it. Is that in response to this, Samuel says to the people, given God's faithfulness to you, you need to serve Him, you need to worship Him, and you need to honor Him. Wholehearted devotion is the response to God being faithful to us. So in closing, two quick questions. Applications for your lives. Where are you not making God king? Where are you not making God king? Where are you fundamentally rejecting God? What issues in your life are you rejecting God as king? I think that's a good place for us to start this morning. Where are you not making God your king? And then what flows from that is my second question. Where do you need God to give you a fresh start? Where you're not making God your king? And where do you need God to give you a fresh start? He's faithful and he's gracious. Shall we pray? You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.